Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I am the most unlikely activist. I was a very shy child and very shy adolescent, and I would never have dreamed that I could ever be an activist if you'd asked me a long time ago. Now, I love it. I love it. I love it more than anything. I'm a public speaker. I enjoy it so much. I get so much energy from it. And activism can look any way that you need it to look. It can meet your needs. Activism can be very quiet. It can just be the way you purchase things. I say, it's the fire in my eyes, the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist, the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. With her undeniable beauty, Arizona Muse has been a face of dreams and glamour for more than half a life. In her late 20s, she faced the uncomfortable realization that despite having worked as the face of the fashion industry for so long, she didn't know the core of it. Arizona started elevating her awareness in the supply chains of fashion. The more she learned, the more she came to the conclusion that she would use her name and the power she'd built up for herself to reduce the harmful impact that the industry was having on the environment. As she had her second child, she enrolled herself in a sustainable business course at Cambridge University, and since then, her focus has been to elevate solutions in the preservation of the world. Today, she's consulting for brands to go sustainable, and she's running her own charity organization, DIRT, focused on transforming the climate through the caretaking of our soil. She has been featured in Forbes and V Magazine for her work, and is on the jury of Sustainable Fashion Awards. She recently moved to Ibiza, where she's expanding her knowledge in farming. Her aim is to amplify the knowledge of biodynamic farming to the world. A knowledge, she argues, is the one that can save the interaction between humanity and Mother Earth. Hearing her story, I was thinking to myself that I wonder if a name is given to someone with a purpose. Arizona Muse. A muse she became and a muse she continues being. And I find her journey so fascinating as she navigates the tools she's been given not only to inspire, but to move awareness towards a more loving caretaking of our world. Welcome, Arizona Muse. That is a very kind interlude. Thank you so much. I love when you describe <laughs> me. <laughs> right. Um, I read this beautiful quote from you in V Magazine that I think summons you up very strongly. You said, in my life, I'm deliberately replacing an emphasis on my individuality with an emphasis on on building community through the lens of climate activism. I thought that was very intelligent, very strong. And I'd like to dive into our discussion from this angle, because I think that that it basically represents the woman, Arizona, behind the muse and the muse inspiring to better care for the world. So I'm wondering straight off to here, when did this quest to use your status quo as a face of dreams, beauty, fashion to the preservation of the earth, when did it start to grow in your mind? So the the beginning for me of this learning journey, I call it, was 
when I realized that I didn't know where all these clothes were coming from, the ones that I was wearing for my work, for my daily mm. life, every single day of my life, <laughs> and in huge quantities. <laughs> 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 and I just realized it's actually my responsibility to understand where they come from because I'm helping to sell them. And I started learning about fashion and how it could be done more sustainably and how shockingly detrimental it is to the earth and to the humans who are along the supply chain of the fashion industry. And I can take you on a journey quickly. So let's take a dress because it's more of a complex garment than a t-shirt. So start on the field where the cotton is grown or the silk is grown. And then you have to harvest it. Then you have to process it. That's a chemical process on pretty much every single material. Sometimes hot water is sufficient enough if you're trying to be really sustainable. For instance, wool can be processed with hot water to get the um, the lanolin, the, the oils off of it. But it's 99.9% .9 of the time it's processed with chemicals mm. to remove the oils. And then after that, it will be trucked or shipped to a spinners who makes it into thread or yarn and then it will be either woven or knitted in a different factory then it will be that fabric will be shipped to another factory where it will be dyed then it will be shipped to another one where it will be cut and sewn then possibly panels of that fabric will be shipped to india to be embroidered then they'll be shipped back to the main manufacturer to be sewn back into that garment then they'll at each single stage step of this way this material was wrapped in plastic, unwrapped, wrapped in plastic again, unwrapped, wrapped in plastic again. These plastics are not reused because of the, the danger that they're contaminated with dye stuffs or just dirt, and then the, the fabric would be ruined. So it's new plastic every single time. And then it finally turns into a dress, and there will be many different materials, usually a blend of polyester and nylon of synthetic materials mixed with natural materials. So this whole dress won't be able to be composted at all because it would be very toxic and it has to go into landfill at the end of its life. It also can't really be recycled because it's got so much hardware on it. It might have a zip or buttons. All these mixed materials are too difficult to dismantle. It would be too expensive. No one will clip the buttons off of a dress so that it can be recycled in different parts because recycling only works when you've got one material. You have to reduce it down to just one plain material. Otherwise, mixing it all up just won't ever turn it into anything. <laughs> so that's the story of a dress is what I realized, that it was so much more complicated than I'd ever imagined by simply looking at a dress. Yeah. And there are much more sustainable ways of doing that. And there are amazing brands working on this. And I'm so pleased and feel so positive about the future because everyone's talking about it now, which is one of the most important first steps. I, I do have to mm. say that I wish it happened about 45 years ago. We would have been in a much better place right now if yeah. these conversations started then. If we approached this with a step-by-step, -step, one one stone after one turn, one stone after another approach 45 mm. years ago. Right now, we don't have time for that approach anymore because we are really running out of time. There is a very short window of time that is called the brink and we're in it right now. Mm. I am very privileged that I don't feel climate change on a daily basis. I live in a very comfortable life. I was in London until very recently. I now live in Ibiza. Both of these places are totally fine compared to some other locations and regions in the world where there are millions of climate migrants. 
Yeah. This is an uh, this is an issue that is affecting us right now. So let's we have to stop this mindset that oh in the future we'll change. In the future I'll change by 2050. It's like no, now. We have to do it now because some people can't wait that long. And you did it now and you're constantly doing it every day. Before we dive into exactly what it is you're doing, I wanted to ask how did you feel when you realized that half of your life you had been devoting Uh, and promoting a movement that you now started questioning. How did that feel like? And how did you turn that into the positive outlook that you wanted to fight for? Surprisingly, it had a really positive impact on me to realize that I had a purpose now. After when I started learning about all this, I felt more meaning in my life. I felt like I had a purpose. I felt therefore more fulfilled. I had more energy. I was more enthusiastic about life. So hmm. actually learning about the doom and gloom of climate change made me feel better, not worse. And that is something that I think it's important to highlight because I know that there's a lot of fear around learning about climate change that, oh, it's going to be scary and it's going to make me feel awful and guilty. And I'll just, I'll just ignore it. And hmm. actually ignoring it is a really dangerous thing to do for your mental health. It it doesn't feel good. You of course you know it's there. You're an intelligent human being. It's there's no yeah. point in ignoring something that you do know is there. So feigning ignorance isn't a good solution to climate change. Not only just because it means that fewer it's one less person who's going to actually change their behavior, but also for your own well-being. It's something yeah. amazing to start working on this movement because once you start really getting into it and understanding climate change, you can't help but see the solutions that there are and the amazing people who are working on those solutions. And then you just yeah. get filled with pride and joy and deep meaning where you're le learning mm. about these life journeys of the people around you who are devoting themselves to something so interesting and valuable mm. that it becomes the most exciting thing that we've ever done rather than the most depressing thing that we've ever done. But I think what you're just highlighting now is so important because we are also, the people who are not working in it on a day-to-day -day basis are being bombarded with the negative outputs and the end of the world theories. Well, they're not even theories, they're facts if we keep this going. But it's also important to share exactly what you said, that there is a great power and pride in, in understanding and learning and finding a few of the solutions and attacking a few of those that you can manage. So in that way, I think you're extremely inspiring, not just because you're doing it, but because you're showing the solutions and you're showing the joy. And there will inevitably be hypocrisy in everything that we do in the Western world. I mean, my life is surely more polluting than a family with 11 children living in sub-Saharan Africa. So yeah. I like to do away with this myth that, oh, have fewer children to save the world. It's like, no, I'm mm. sorry, my two children are so polluting, even though we live in like a relatively sustainable household, we live in the Western hemisphere. I am benefiting from infrastructure that is hugely polluting, whether or not I choose to use it. It's just, it's there. Whereas that family that we were referencing of the 11 children in sub-Saharan Africa, they probably live on a subsistence lifestyle and they're probably having a very small impact, if not a positive impact on the land around them. Because through generational teaching, they understand that their life depends on the well-being of the environment around them. And so they all learn to care for it and to have longevity in their thinking, which is a very different way of approaching life than I was conditioned into thinking and then my society is conditioned into thinking. Totally, totally. And I love that you're saying, if not even positive, because we can't stop 
existing or living, but we can actually live in a positive impact way. So if much we understand so. how. I, uh, yeah. I really, I get disappointed when I hear about the idea that humans are a parasite on the earth and we should actually, you know, the earth would be so much better without us. I don't think that's accurate. I think it's wrong. And I think that can make people feel quite guilty and badly about their own existence, which is kind of a, a very negative thought cycle to get stuck in. So instead, I like to think about how we are, we are meant to be here. For sure. There's no doubt about Mm. that. And Mm. we can each use our lifetime to have a positive impact, to build a relationship between ourselves and the earth that we live on, because the earth is one round spherical body beneath our feet. Mm. And we can access a relationship with her, with that earth, any time we want, as often as we want. She's always there. You can do a 15 second meditation where you just sink down below yourself and Feel what it feels like. Oh, turn on your senses and just see what you can sense. And the first time you may sense nothing, mm. do it 25 more times mm. and you'll begin to sense something. Practice is, is really key here. And as you do that, you'll begin to understand how important and how valuable and true the indigenous understanding of Mother Earth is. Yeah. It's just, it's visceral. It's really there. And when we build upon it and are curious about it, the earth can sense it and feel it because the earth is very sensitive and has been working on her sensitivity for far longer than we have. (laughs) Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So when you started to build up this pride and joy and understanding more, you also decided to dive even deeper into the knowledge and you took a business course in sustainable business at Cambridge University. Bang on, girl. And you did this just when you were having your second child. Yes, Um, just after she was born. (laughs) Yeah, you're not slouching on the couch. (laughs) What should I do for my It was an online course. It was an online course, to be honest. Oh, yeah, because that makes it so less hard. (laughs) It was a lot of work, I have to say. It was so much more work than I expected it to be. And it was really good for me because I didn't go to university because I was busy being a model already. And I had my first child very young. And so it was great for me to just prove to myself that I could actually do stuff and that I was managing my time well and I could perform. And it was really important in my confidence building actually to do that course and finish it and be like, whoa, that was a lot of work, but I did it and I've got it. And it was great. So, yeah. And the communities that are coming out of those courses are really important too. I'm on several 
WhatsApp groups now with course participants from that course from the CISL Institute at Cambridge because people are really doing amazing things after that. And it's a great place to start for especially people who have their own business. It's particularly well designed for people who either have decision-making power within a company or who own their own business because you do a case study and you can do your business. I didn't own a business at the time, nor do I own one now, but I sorry had to use a kind of make-believe example. But for me, even though you're not legit running a business right now, you still seem to have a switch from being an activist to a businesswoman. And we'll get down to that later. But it's exactly what you're doing now because you're not just, you know, saying save the planet earth and you're not just you're not i'm not saying just because being out there manifesting is really important as well but you have turned your whole engagement into a very legit business model although it is non-profit but in that sense i wonder what was your first step uh, i love that you're saying this i just as a funny aside it's one of my life goals to get on the 30 under 30 list the forbes like celebrating young business people unfortunately i'm already 33 but you know dream big (laughs) you're gonna get there i can feel you getting there getting there to the 30 under 30 list i am (laughs) just ask them to up it up to 35 and you'll be fine (laughs) i'll be fine yeah quick so I got really interested in business because I realized that investment and money will change the cycle so much more quickly than just activism or just social awareness, because social Mm. awareness is one thing, but there's a great example with the ocean, like me knowing that dolphins are being killed every day doesn't help the dolphins at all. Not Mm. one bit of help goes to dolphins when I simply know and am very aware about how they're being killed, why they're being killed, where they're being killed, doesn't change anything. So awareness is necessary. And in some cases, it can really change, like around racism and around uh, body images. Those things are really important awareness-wise because just me being aware of racism and how I can not be racist, it makes me not racist. So that is like action being taken through awareness. But to that point, subjects like racism and gender issues is actually, or body image is being put to action when businesses start to advertise specifically this activist thought. So in that sense, there as well. And this is what you're doing. Yeah. And we've had a lot of discussions on that on the side, you and I, about that, because I was engaged in activism and other senses previously. And I saw the same thing, is that ultimately it is the action and the the money flowing in to make real change. And this is what you're now stepping into. So it's like step by step. Exactly. So I got really yeah. interested in business. And I, like many people at the beginning of their sustainability journey in fashion, I thought to myself, oh, I'm going to start a sustainable brand. This was like six years ago or five years ago. I'm going to start a sustainable brand. I can show everyone that it can be done. It can be beautiful. It can be party dresses for women who thought previously that they couldn't be sustainable because it just wasn't their style. Mm. And so I set up a business and did all the research and development and absolutely loved that. And then at the very end, before pressing go and launching it, I realized I do not want to be a fashion brand owner. Not at all. So I didn't launch the brand, but it was invaluable experience for me. Like that was like university degree right there. Wow. You know, unofficial. But what I learned setting up that brand was just so invaluable. And now I consult brands and I love doing that. And I feel like there's a huge amount of impact there by helping other businesses change how they do business rather than setting up my own one and having to spend all my time every single day. I'm really impressed because we all know that the amount of time and passion you put into something when you decide you just want to go for it. 
but you still decided to step down from it because you realized it wasn't to the goal. Exactly. It was a hard decision because I did want to do it. I wanted to have a brand. I thought it was going to be great, but also it would have really changed the course of my activism because instead yeah. I had a lot of time to be an activist. Whereas if I had a brand, I'd have a lot less time to be an activist. Yeah. And I think that my impact as an activist was really high. And then I also started consulting and I think that was really high. And now I'm Now I've started my charity called Dirt, which is a foundation for the regeneration of Earth. And we regenerate soil globally by supporting the biodynamic farming movement. Can you tell me a bit more about your vision with Dirt? So Dirt is a charity that relies on, do on donations. I like to match donors with projects so that they can support a specific project from beginning till finalization and see it grow and build a relationship with the people who are carrying out the work of this project. That's really important because I want to turn this paradigm on its head that says, oh, if you're a donor, you're better than, you're more achieved than, you're more successful than the mm. people who are receiving your generous monetary gift. So it must become like an ego trip itself. A little bit, yeah. yeah. And even when it's not, it's still not a reciprocal give and take. It's so mm. one-sided. And I just think that there's so much loss there when the donors can't learn from the incredible people on the other end who are receiving the money because they have yeah. so much to share and so much to teach that it's such a shame if there isn't reciprocity in that channel. So that's mm -hmm. what Dirt is trying to build between its donors and its receivers that this can happen and we can learn from each other and we can educate through the channels of the donor. We can share beautiful content. So that's part of what Dirt does with each project is creates amazing content that can be shared on social media as edu for educational purposes about the success yeah. of the project and just how beautiful it is and how impactful it is. And then also we do a lot of awareness raising around what is soil, what is biodynamics, how can this help the earth and society right now in the face of climate change. And we put a strong emphasis on non-food crops because the food systems movement seems to forget about fiber and leather most of the time. And food mm. systems and agriculture and farming is always spoken about from the food lens, which is of course very important. We eat a lot of food, but <laughs> we also wear a lot of clothes and they're all yeah made from farms unless they're synthetic and petrochemical derived in which case we need to move away from them mm. but do we ever stop and say thank you so much farmers for growing my clothes thank you mm. no we don't and we need to because they did where are your projects based right now where is dirt going in we have quite a lot of projects so one great example is restoration of mining scars in Uganda. So mining is one of the most harmful things you can do to the earth, obviously. Awful. Drilling holes in the surface of the earth, completely just scraping off all the topsoil. It's horrific. And then using <laughs> heavy duty chemicals and heavy metals oh. to refine the ore that you find in the mine. So yeah. Don't, let's not forget that people are doing all that with their bare hands. Yeah. So this is a, a huge, huge problem. And biodynamic agriculture can offer so much of the solution. So if you restore a mining scar, you can fill in the hole by paying the local community to do so. And then mm. you can also support them. You can actually grow on top of that again? Yeah, definitely. You have to start with non-food crops because it's too toxic to grow food. Okay. So for the mm. first two years, you might grow bamboo and reeds for basket making, useful non-food crops that you will harvest and you will have a profit from. 
So it's the support is immediate as soon as the mine starts getting filled in, the community is receiving funds to do so. So that's yeah. it's it's really important that that happens immediately. Supporting people through soil regeneration is a really, really powerful way to abate climate change. Really, really oh. important. So that's one example of one project. Yeah. Then we have a mental health related project in Romania. There's an incredible shelter that takes and protects women and their children who've been trafficked and Oof. they don't just put a roof over their head they actually do a lot of therapy and a lot of trauma work and yeah. upskill them give them skills help them until they're completely sufficient and on their feet which is just an incredible service and they want to move their shelter which is right now in Bucharest onto a farm And they want it to be a biodynamic farm. So that wow. that project is a big one. That's buying land. That's starting a farm. And it will have an immense impact on oh so many people's lives. Because in numerous studies, you see that when you help women in a community, the community yeah. rises really yeah. quickly. Because women have such a strong set of values that revolve around their family, that revolve around sharing, that revolve around caring, that care for the earth. It's really, really powerful to just elevate women and make sure that they are self-sufficient and and therefore able to help the people around them as well. That's so incredible. those are two and examples of, of projects that DIRT has, but we also have smaller projects that are uh, purely awareness raising. So we've run several events that are wonderful in terms of impact they're quite low cost and they have mm. immense impact so how we do that is um we contact a biodynamic association around the world and ask them if they would like us to fund a awareness raising event where they one or two of their farmers um invites conventional farmers from the region to learn mm. about what biodynamics is and then after the session the farmers are invited to sign up to say if they want to transition into biodynamics and we were shocked at what a high rate we had who signed up after these three events wow. it was amazing half the people who came signed up so we now have 19 new farms who are on their way to becoming biodynamic it's just it's incredible wow, wow. A resilient farm is prepared for bad weather. It just is. Yeah. Whereas when you're farming with chemicals, you rely on the same harvest every single year, which is pretty much yeah. impossible to guarantee. So these farmers are in debt and they're they're living a life that is sadly really, really low in mental health. And it's tragic, but the farmer suicide rates globally are higher than every single country's average. It's just, What? it's shocking. That's not being very communicated. It's, it's, yeah, it, of course it isn't, <laughs> but it's there. Yeah. I mean, you can Google it. The Guardian has written some really great articles about the mental health in farmers. And there are some great statistics in, not great. I mean, there's some really sad statistics about India and their suicide rates in farmers. And it's all because of debt and chemicals and it has to stop. So farmers, when they hear from real other farmers who are actually farming and making this work mm. in a biodynamic way, They go, yes, please. I like. I'm desperate for a solution like that. Actually, I would really like to do this and see what happens. And if they can be supported by governments to do so through subsidies, that's amazing because that's what they really need is subsidies. The governments need to support the transition because, as I was saying about the debt cycle, some farmers are actually not able to make that decision to transition out of chemical farming because they're stuck in this debt cycle and they can't afford to have the one or two years where they may see lower yields because they'll be changing everything on their farm. So 
So they yeah. won't grow a lot in the first two years of the transition because everything has to change. They have to go from one crop to a diversified crop. Some of that might be trees. Trees take three to five to eight years to mature. So that's an investment. It's a long-term investment that will pay off so well in the end, but governments will need to support that. It's it's not fair to expect that individual farmers living on very, very low incomes should actually fund that change. I mean, you're obviously so excited about this and this has become your life, but there must be hard moments, I'm sure, when you're trying to bring forward awareness and trying to change. What's the core feeling of those hard moments when you're struggling? I definitely cry sometimes. I cry when there are big issues, big moments, big catastrophes happening that are affecting a lot of people and animals and the earth. And there's yeah. nothing I can do about them. Like all the big fires, those are really cryable issues. It's so sad to see that mm. happening. There's nothing I can do about it right now directly. Everything I'm doing is indirectly helping and that's some kind of consolation. But, you know, if when in Australia, when those fires were happening, I really cried about that. The thing that really made me cry the most was watching a video of scientists who were in the bush in the hottest weather they'd ever experienced knowing that fires were happening around and they were observing what was happening to the wildlife. And these bats, this colony of bats was dying around them of heat stroke. Mm. And it was so sad. These scientists were visibly distraught. They knew what it meant and they, they'd spend their lives studying this kind of biodiversity. And they were just distraught that this was happening. The bats were hanging upside down on the trees as they normally would. And they were trying to sleep during the day and it was so hot that they were falling off the tree dead. Oh my God. And the babies were falling off the moms dead. It was so, so hard to watch. That was a YouTube video. And it's so important to see this stuff. It really is. Yeah. It, we, I would never have come across that had I not made myself find it. Again, like we started at the beginning of this conversation, I'm super privileged. I will never see climate change unless I make it in front of my face happen. It's my responsibility to do that, to take the time. It's not much time. Type climate change into, into YouTube. It, you'll get there. You'll get there pretty fast. You'll see type humans in climate change, type women in climate change. Yeah. Any specific thing that you heard about on the news, type that into YouTube and you will get videos off from on the ground from what's happening and it will show you and open your eyes to what's really happening, which will then gear you into action because you'll realize, yeah. oh, I can be an activist too. Yeah, Activism can look however I want it to look. I am the most unlikely act activist, by the way. I was a very shy child and very shy hmm. adolescent. And I would never have dreamed that I could ever be an activist if you'd asked me a long time ago. Now, I love it. I love it more than anything. I'm a public speaker. I enjoy it so much. I get so much energy from it. And activism can look any way you, that you need it to look. It can meet your needs. Activism can be very quiet. It can just be the way you purchase things. You can decide that you're not going to purchase from companies that are polluting anymore. And you're going to find the little companies run by individuals who are trying at every step of the way to do things better. That's activism. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Exactly. Look at you now from a shy child to more like speaking like a president. I've seen you out there. <laughs> you're pretty strong. So, so when you feel these hard moments, you still try to turn it into more action. I sit with it. 
I sit with it. I, I try not to run away from it. It's good to feel grief sometimes. It's good to feel sadness. It's good to feel a little hopeless even. It's just good to feel what you feel. I just try to be grateful to have feelings because it's so important. Our feelings will indicate to us what to do. It's part of intuition, having feelings. And I'm really trying to exercise my intuition. How can I make decisions that are not just my head thinking about it? How can mm. I make decisions that actually have a bigger decision-making mechanism behind them, which you could call intuition or you could just call anything you want. It doesn't matter. Your uh, son, your eldest son is 12 today. So you guys yeah. do the maths. Arizona's 33. So you were a baby when you had I was 20 him. when I had him. I was yeah, 19 crazy. when I was pregnant. And it's 20 insane. when he was born. <laughs> it's insane. And in a way, I brought this up because I think in one way it feels like you grew from being a child yourself to the woman you are today through him and with him. And I was wondering if if his impact and his growth on this planet, you obviously have a, a second child now, a beautiful daughter. But I was wondering, because this started happening before even she was born, did his growth into a boy help you move towards this awareness of the world? Or would it have happened anyway, do you think? Interesting question. My activism definitely didn't start when he was born. So it wasn't to do with me having a child suddenly. Hmm. It was... Because you were still a child then. <laughs> I was still a child. <laughs> I think that his deep love of nature and deep understanding of nature that's innate. He's just someone who is such a maker and an explorer outside. He's happiest outside with wood and a knife, whittling away. He's always been eager to grow up so he can use bigger tools. <laughs> That's been like the story of his life. <laughs> and I think that that had a huge influence on me beginning to look at nature through his eyes and his understanding and going, oh, wow, there's so much mm. to see here that I hadn't been mm. seeing before because I wasn't, I, I was an outdoor child. My parents made sure that happened, but I wasn't as innately eager to be in nature as he is. He's like on another level of... He's, his obsession has been bushcrafting and survival since he was three. Like He could hardly even speak. No one could understand what he was saying. And all he wanted to talk about was how to fish with a fishing rod that you made yourself. <laughs> so I think he had a, an immense impact. And I would definitely advise all parents to be really curious about what your kids want to know about and who they are. And they have so much to teach us. And a lot of it will be kind of more interesting than the adult lives yeah. that we're leading. <laughs> yeah. And, and even if it's not your own kids, I find that kids are the purity. They are what we teaches us about the beauty of the earth. And so like, look at little people and see how they see the world. Because those people are the people of tomorrow. I mean, it's obvious we need to help them. So that the beautiful earth is still there when they're growing up. I imagine like a utopian world where children are strongly involved in politics because I think children make much better decisions than adults because they don't care so much about money and they haven't been educated yet. So they make decisions much more clearly. Like, for instance, whenever I talk to kids about polluted rivers, they're like, what? That has to stop now. <laughs> and you're like, gosh, I wish politicians yeah. said that. Yeah. I wish they thought like that, but they can't. They think they can't. They think their hand, they think their hands are tied behind their back. And these days, they're saying it. They're just not doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just I, I do think that children should be involved more in big decision yeah. making. Yeah, completely. <laughs> they're so logical. <laughs> What do you think it takes to truly turn people towards a sustainable awareness? Like truly, it's happening a little bit, but 
What's it going to take for everyone to be as involved? I've been toying with this question for years now because it's different for everyone. Everyone mm. has a different tolerance level of understanding what's going on in the world and still being able to live their polluting life and not feeling badly about it. Mm. Other people are more sensitive and, and learn a little bit and change everything immediately and get it's too much in a way. Mm. And then they might go back later and be like, actually, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to just do it normally. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be learned here about the answer from indigenous ways of thinking to answer that question about where does the behavior shift when you mm. learn about climate change. Original peoples who had a deep connection with the earth were not harming it. So I think that that's the answer. Hmm. When we have a relationship with the earth, we can love the earth. When we love something, we will not harm it. If we don't love something, we can't be trusted not to harm it. The real challenge here also is the huge urbanization. So how do we have that connection to the earth with for people that only see concrete or, you know, around them? Yeah, it's How's intense. that going to happen? Um, I was one of those people for years. Yeah. So I came up with a little solution for myself. <laughs> what was that? I call it the moss meditation. So I realized that I was getting kind of nature deficit disorder in London where I was... <laughs> nature deficit disorder, that's so great. Yeah. <laughs> Make and an I abbreviation was... of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I realized that because I was learning so much about nature and biodiversity and living at one with nature and I was going crazy. I was like, ah, I don't see nature anywhere. I'm, ex I'm in the middle of the city. I was in central London and it was noisy and there was concrete everywhere and everything was gray and cornered. And so the opposite shape of a tree. <laughs> and mm. so I just decided to look for the tiny bits of nature everywhere. And England is a very moist climate. So there is moss everywhere. Every single Aww. wall has it. And I started to notice this. So... As I was walking around in London, I would just stop for 15 or 45 seconds, a very short amount of time, and study the moss and look at it. And I realized, okay, at first it was green. Then I was, wait, no, it's not only green. It's actually got some yellow in there and some other kinds of green too. <laughs> oh, what shape is it? Huh, it's not just a block of moss. Ah, it's got like little fronds and some fronds are really high. They're like three times higher than the other fronds. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And then I noticed on moss. <laughs> the plant next to it, the little moss next to it wasn't the same moss. So oh, there are two different kinds of moss. Then I looked at, oh, one inch further, there's a third kind of moss. <laughs> it's just like, Wow. That really turned on for me the idea that nature is so powerfully complex. And after I'd been doing this for about two years, I realized that when I looked back on my memory landscape of that two years, it was filled with green life. Oh. And that felt really good. And I didn't feel like I was deficient in nature anymore. And then I looked further back past that two years and my memory landscape was much more filled with gray buildings and not such nature-inducing kind of images. And mm. I've been reading books about the impacts that nature has. Like, for instance, there's a book called The Nature Fix by, I think, Florence Miller. She mm. was a journalist and decided to write a book on, on just that. What impact does nature have on us? So she traveled around the world visiting all the scientists who are studying that. And it's a great book. It really helps you to understand how much time you need to spend in nature and why you might be feeling some of the negative things you feel in a city simply because you're not looking at a landscape, simply because you're not. It's, it's real. And then, I, of course, when I read that book, I was like, oh, no, what about children? What about children who've grown up without a nature landscape around them? Yeah. Who only see screens and who only see cities? 
what impact is that having on their mental health short-term and long-term? And it made me quite concerned about that situation. But now this is one of the reasons why we've moved out of London is that I wanted to, all of us, my family, husband and two kids, to have a life where we were seeing nature landscapes the majority of the time. Earlier, this interview dropped that you wanted to be on the Forbes 30 under 30. But the truth (laughs) is, you've already had an article in Forbes on your work towards sustainable fashion. You're already on the jury of sustainable fashion awards. You obviously own your own charity foundation. You are transforming into a businesswoman, even though it's an NGO. And you are becoming a farmer. I know you just came from a farmer's course in Ibiza. Greenpeace Ambassador for the Oceans. Thank you very much. And Thank you very um, much. I missed that. <laughs> so yeah, this girl is on a mission. And uh, I sincerely am following you in every step of this mission. I think it's incredible and beautiful what you're doing. It's also making a change. And uh, I hope you will all follow Arizona and all take a bit of advice from the activist angle that you can all be activists and especially for the theme of this podcast which is modern madonnas for the empowering and the education and the the debating of what modern femininity is and is transforming into how do you think that women can reflect their own femininity in the very same essence of the earth by wearing dresses and painting your nails joking Sustainable, sustainable nail polish, yeah, which is, I think, only half, only half true. Um, I think there are so many ways. It's not just one way. It'll be different for everybody. But just focusing on yourself and your lifetime, and what do you want to do? What What are you here for? It's a purpose question. I think. Hmm. I've found it really powerful to notice in myself what I do how I behave, how I speak, the words I use, what kind of influences I'm trying to have with people or over people in my own social life. Mm. And informing myself about how I can change all of that is really, really interesting. And it's kind of a lifelong journey and it's fascinating. And one book I would highly recommend for this is um, Rianne Eisler's book called The Chalice and the Blade. It's a really great great concept it's about domination and partnership versus domination and how the world would look different and relationships would be different if we were all living in a partnership communication rather than domination communication Mm. because if you then trace back your own life story i'm sure you'll find a lot of domination there people dominating you school dominating you government dominating you you dominating your children, you dominating your little siblings, you dominating your animals. You And the, we don't need to live in that paradigm. It doesn't have to be about domination. You could just let domination go. And then you have freedom to have a different type of relationship with all those entities that I just mentioned. And that relationship might support you better to be your true self. And it might support the earth better and it might support everyone better. So I'd leave you with that. This is incredible, Arizona, honestly, because I would have actually never stated it still in the podcast, but my own mission is with this project that I'm running, because I, in fact, it is a way of exploring the next wave feminism. And I'm doing quotation mark here because, I, you know, 
feminism has already been pushed for from our grandmothers and mothers and we still need to push there's so much to do still but right now it's also about women also listening to themselves and understanding the femininity in ourselves because for so long have we tried to dominate and try to take back what has been taken from us in terms of rights and right now more than ever the world needs feminine leadership and feminine and I don't say that in a woman way like it doesn't need woman per se it needs feminine yeah which men can offer so in that sense this is not at all excluding men on the contrary please listen and you know men come in we have a lot of strong amazing and inclusive men around us in the next generation upcoming and it is all about linking to our feminine side which is the same side as the earth and that is what we all need to listen to and to that topic Maybe this is the time now that we need to stop dominating, but cooperating. Yep. And so that's what's so incredible how you said that. Thank you for that. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. I am. I'm going to finalize with the question I always ask. I think you've already caught it in a way. But what is a modern Madonna to you? A modern Madonna to me is someone who is simple. Is living a simple life in that she makes time for the things that are important. She's aware of what is important. She's thought about it. She doesn't try to accomplish everything because that's unrealistic. She's not unrealistic. (laughs) She's just living to live. I got goosebumps. (laughs) I actually do. I wish you could see them. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's so great. Thank you, Arizona. Stay intact with Arizona's action. You can find her on Instagram, Arizona Muse, the Muse. Uh, you can read about her in a lot of fashion magazines. Check out her article in Forbes. Check out what she's doing with dirt. Invest, maybe. Just go for <laughs> it. Find your own inner activist and uh, let's try to get on this boat so we can actually enjoy nature that is not yeah. in a museum. Yes, exactly. You know? That's not in a museum. Let's not go it's into awful. a building to enjoy nature. <laughs> <laughs> Subscribe to the Modern Madonnas podcast and follow us on Instagram for more stories about modern womanhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.